When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. Betches Media presents... Chrissy Teigen referred to Donald Trump as a pussy-ass bitch. Look, he's a sick puppy. He, he, shouldn't, be, he shouldn't be there. While I lost half a day of skiing. I want to punch him out and I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to be happy. The Betches Sub Podcast. A speaker has not been elected. Hello, hello. This is the Betches Sub Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. I'm Amanda Duberman, the Senior Director for News and Activism at Betches. I'm Elise Morales, a comedian and writer of the Betches Sup newsletter. I'm Millie Tamaris, co-host of this podcast and writer and comedian as well. And all of us, we all still have our little jobs in media, which can't <laughs> unfortunately be said for the one and only Tucker Carlson. Moments before we hit the mic this morning, I uttered the words into the office, Tucker Carlson out at Fox News, to which many people responded, Tucker Carlson outed by Fox News. <laughs> the enunciation <laughs> was important. <laughs> but he is indeed out at Fox News. In a breaking news, we'll just get right into it. In a shocking announcement today on Monday, the network announced that Friday was Tucker Carlson's final show. So he's not coming back. The announcement came one week after Fox News settled a monster defamation lawsuit with Dominion Voting Systems for almost a billion dollars. It was $785 million over that network's dissemination of election lies. So obviously people are asking if the two situations are connected. I think there's good reason to believe they they must be. You know, even though only one of the 20 allegedly defamatory, definitely defamatory Fox broadcasts mentioned in the lawsuit came from Tucker Carlson's show, his show is like by far the biggest. I think he's he's got like 3 million viewers on on a good night. I mean, he's definitely responsible for breaking your grandparents' brains. Millions of people watch it. And Carlson was going to be the first of Dominion of the witnesses in that Dominion trial, which I guess just suggests that whatever he was going to say was was significant. He also had especially strong feelings in the group chats that were released. He described Fox News's coverage of certain election conspiracies as poison, shockingly wrecked reckless, dangerous as hell. And in another text that was leaked that I just think is really appropriate for today's news, he said, what Trump is good at is destroying things. He's the undisputed world champion of that. He could easily destroy us if we play it wrong. Oops, played it wrong, played it wrong. I definitely was surprised to hear this this morning. It's funny because we were all kind of like previously in our actual group chat we were like oh what are we gonna talk about today we'll pick some evergreen topics i did i did say like, news was slow which always invites a big headline it, well yeah when i was writing the newsletter this morning i was like huh not a huge amount going on and then like as soon as it goes out it's all of this information 
I mean, my mind goes two places. One is that even though his show was technically not the center of like the defamatory statements in the way that like Lou Dobbs and Maria Bartiromo were, his texts when compared to his show were, I think, the most embarrassing top line for Fox. Um, And he also does have like a staffer who is suing him right now for like a sexist workplace environment. So I'm wondering if maybe it was like all of these things together, you lose the show. But what's wild to me is to not let him say goodbye, which is what feels like that's the biggest mystery to me because, uh, when I was like looking this up before, when he signed off on Friday, he said, see you on Monday. Mm. So he like the plan for him to not have his show was at least not like told to him until this weekend. Those sirens so that are headed what's... to Fox News where Carlson is <laughs> <laughs> vandalizing the premises. That is so interesting. That's so key that he said on Friday, see you on Monday. So this obviously was not his choice. No, that's why it makes me feel like like. I don't know. I feel like everybody had damning text and like Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, they all have texts that are like damning and saying kind of Fox News is bullshit. That's been like outed. So it just makes me feel like that may be a small part of it, but I think it was something way bigger, way more urgent that needed to get because at the end of the day, Fox settled out of court. So it didn't go to trial. I just feel like it maybe has more to do with the sexist lawsuit or another thing that we don't even know about Mm -hmm. um, that was so scandalous. Because Fox News, they have a really high tolerance for shitty anchors and shitty employees and bad behavior. And they wait for it to get really, really bad uh, before they do anything. So Mm -hmm. for it to be this drastic and this swift, it's just like, Something, I don't know, really bad had to happen, yeah. which in the, what does that even mean in the fucking uh, universe of Fox News? Like how, you know, for someone to get, re- for the biggest show to get released. And I, when we were talking in the group chat too, I was like, to me, it's like, it's a big deal because it's like Fox News. It's like his big, the biggest uh, show and all that. But like Tucker Carlson replaced and. I couldn't even remember this man's name. It was Bill O'Reilly, mm-hmm. but Bill O'Reilly was such a, I feel like, and maybe I'm just having nostalgia, but in a bigger way than Tucker Carlson has been in the past few years, like Bill O'Reilly was that guy in Fox news, like starting controversy, saying all kinds of crazy shit. Literally Stephen Colbert's career, like the Colbert report was based on just a straight satirical, mm-hmm. um, version of his show the o'reilly factor and the fact that after his like countless scandals and like harassment of women and all that shit got so bad that they had to like kick him out and like he got completely deleted from the lexicon and like replaced with some stupid swanson air with the bow tie um (laughs) it's just like that the same Tucker Carlson now has the same fate where maybe in five years there'll be someone more baby faced and horrible. And uh, we won't even, we'll be like, what was that guy's name? Tuck, 
Yeah, I mean, you both mentioned there is another element here of stuff that has come out kind of as a result of the Dominion litigation. I'm going to read directly from an NPR article about this, these other allegations of just not good workplace behavior. So he is also the focus of a lawsuit from his former senior booking producer, Abby Grossberg. You're going to be hearing, if you haven't already, a lot about her because she's just filing a lot of lawsuits against lawyers that were involved in this with Fox, um, how they treated her. And and she's the one we said last week before. She's like, I think they deleted text off my phone. But one of the other things in one of her suits, she accuses Carlson and Fox of sexism and harassment, alleging how his show's workplace was replete with examples of misogyny. Again, I'm reading directly from NPR. Her lawsuit claims, among other things, that mocked up photographic images depicted then U.S. House Speaker in a bathing suit revealing her cleavage, and that staffers were polled on two separate occasions on which of two female candidates for Michigan governor they would rather have sex with. So that's also in the background. Maybe there are other things that are part of that lawsuit that have not come out. And like Millie said, other things that have happened that none of us know about. I mean, I don't even want to go. I don't even want to spend too much. I respect myself too much to spend time thinking about the worst, the the type of sexual harassment that still happens at Fox News. So a lot of stuff here. I mean, you both said I cannot wait for the reporting that comes out of this because it will be very, very interesting. I'm surprised that even Fox News, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised what made, I want to know what made Fox News decide he is costing, he is now costing us more than the benefit of having him because he pulls in so many viewers. Yeah, I think the biggest mystery to me in all of this isn't that he ended up being pulled from the show. It's more that they did it in this way where he didn't get to say goodbye. And he clearly was not thinking that this was going to happen as of Friday, his last show. So it makes me feel like Something happened over the weekend that made it like pressing for them to pull him off of the air, which is very interesting. They'll replace him with another demonic force that will (laughs) forward their stuff. Apparently now the show, it's going to be called like Fox News Tonight and they're going to rotate hosts until they find the one who will now deliver their message. I know it's kind of interesting to be like, Ooh, like new demon just dropped. Like we're going to learn about a new, (laughs) someone else is about to become like a big nefarious figure in our lives. It's like Marvel introducing a new villain. Yeah. So it's, it'll be interesting to find out who it's going to be. If it's someone we already know, if it's someone who. Jesse Waters is so excited. Mm -hmm. He's like, now is my time. He's, he is. Kendall Roy in the he's listening to Jay-Z the Jay-Z's the takeover uh on blasting in his car while he's driving to the office on fucking 40 whatever 47th and 6 whatever the that that intersection wow, is Wow, I think you nailed that. That's exactly I know where I did. it is. Uh, uh c- confession, I told you yeah. I've toured the Fox News mm-hmm. uh office and I've been there because I have a friend who's worked there for many years. Uh, long story. Did you see the but name anyway. that was like, this is Car- This is her moment with Carrie from <laughs> Succession? Exactly, from Succession. Carrie. No, yeah. I think it's like, I don't know. But you're so – because I was listening to <laughs> – 
um, Jay Cameron Smith on Hysteria, the Hysteria podcast. Erin Ryan was with us a couple weeks ago or last week. And she was talking about the Fox settlement and she was saying how like, you know that Rupert Murdoch definitely has a Jerry because there are a lot of parallels. And like, like remember in Succession when like he would not let the FBI in until the literal last moment when she was like, cooperate. So I just wonder if it was a similar moment with this where it's like at the last moment, they're like, this is, this is, this is it for him. Um, or if it was a discussion that was happening and he was notified on Friday. But I, I shuddered, you know, it's, it's, it's mixed feelings because like you said, they will just find another person to lie for an hour in this time period. It's not, it's, it's no, uh, it's not virtue signaling from Fox, but it is a big change. And I shudder to think of what that man will do next. Um, Glenn Beck, he'll just be on some weirdo fucking thing that like 10,000 loony. He'll be even more like hidden, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, it is terrible news for him. Yes. <laughs> like, because if you think about a Glenn Beck, a Bill O'Reilly, all of these people, when they've had to leave the major mm-hmm. networks to go to the fringe world, their power and influence is dramatically, dramatically altered. Mm-hmm. So, again, like Millie and I earlier this morning, we were trying to remember Bill yeah. O'Reilly's name and we literally could not remember it, which is crazy when you think about like he would have been at the forefront of. You know, mm-hmm. back in the day when I would watch like the Daily Show Colbert Report lineup or whatever, like in college, like he was at the forefront of all that stuff. Glenn Beck used to be like a yeah. huge person at the forefront of all that stuff. So it it's horrible news for Tucker Carlson. Um, I don't know how much it affects Fox. Like he did have the most watched show, but so did Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, I think they're just going to put another person in that time slot and maybe there will be a dip in the numbers for a little bit until that person comes into their whatever sort of version of this right wing news host they're going to be and it'll shoot right back up. So I'm not I don't think that it's like hugely bad news for Fox other than that it belies that like something weird is going on over there and it further underscores that like this defamation suit was clearly a big deal there's clearly a lot going on behind the scenes over there that would cause them to pull their biggest news anchor without letting him say like this is my final show Yeah, as you as you said, like it is really interesting to think about Bill O'Reilly and some other past people because for Fox it's like something they might know is that the the talking head is perhaps not as important as the messaging. They know they have a very scared audience that they have, you know, scared into this uh, terrified, racist, trigger happy corner, and well, they are going to listen. Can't to, even not bring their doorbell, right? Exactly. Hello. They're going to listen to whatever figure is there, kind of talking to them, regardless of who that is. What they're for is to get there, is to be validated and affirmed, and to like to get. Um, to tune in every night to see what they need to be scared of. And Tucker Carlson was pretty good at that. But I think what he's learning now is like, they'll find somebody else who's who's good at it too. And we'll have to know their name next. <laughs> bye, Tucker. <laughs> Maybe he can start well, to – Literally, this was like moments after it was announced that Tucker Carlson was out at Fox News. Don Lemon <laughs> is out at CNN for different reasons. I mean, he's annoying. We've talked about why on the show. He he posted a, a statement saying that he was informed by his agent. He's pissed. <laughs> he doesn't know why he was fired. That's also interesting because, like, Don Lemon did at least, like, he apologized. come out and say yeah. something. Well, yeah. well I mean, I'm not sure he said sorry. It's, well, like, what's interesting is, like, we have not heard anything from Tucker. Oh, I'm sorry. Personally, you meant 
Yeah, that's what I mean today. Like, Don Lemon was fired and came out and was like, I have been informed that I am fired and I'm pissed off. But we have not heard a peep from Tucker as of the recording. So that's what's also interesting. And I think, again, belies like that something is going on behind the scenes over there because the Don Lemon firing He's, I mean, we've talked on the podcast. He's made a lot of sexist statements. He's also in trouble for like the culture mm-hmm. of his show and behavior in the workplace. So, like, it's not, it, it's actually not rocket science to figure out why he was fired. But with Tucker, it is very like sudden and strange yeah. and interesting that we, we got a statement from Fox. Right. Like, but not a statement from Tucker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think Tucker is emailing uh, Hunter Biden to see if he can get him or his son a job? Very Probably. likely. Very. I mean, a couple of years ago, there was like an article and like, I don't know what, what publisher ran it, but it was saying that like there was a time where Tucker Carlson was like well respected by liberal like journalists and the like the progressive wing, even though they didn't disagree with him, they like respected his his charm and charisma and his talent that's a lot only, of fucking people yeah exactly that'll only get that's you that's a lot of that's jordan peterson yeah, that's a lot of i people. know and i know people eat their fucking face when they realize well, they're idiots i feel like now is a perfect day to revisit the time that john stewart just absolutely destroyed him on when he used to do that show crossfire oh, which is probably when he was respected because yeah, he did right, that show right. where it was like a debate show so it was like it really plays into that like civility centrist idea of like we're debating. And that's very much like was Tucker's ethos later of like, I'm just asking questions about yeah, all this stuff. And da, da, da. But John Stewart went on crossfire and actually like shut down Tucker's career for many, many years until he came back like bigger and more terrible than he had ever been before (laughs) but maybe because he got humiliated in that way but yeah I remember he was like I always remember the part where Tucker was like I thought you were supposed to be funny and Jon Stewart was like no I'm not your monkey I'm not gonna dance for you and he and then he also was like I mean you're a grown man in a bow tie like what are we doing here and it was just like and he just yeah he wrecked him and that exists in perpetuity on youtube and i think today would be a perfect day to revisit it for anyone who has the time Mm -hmm. and if you want another trip down memory lane i love seeing colbert on bill on the o'reilly factor that was my favorite it's all part of the same canon it's all part of the same thing well we will be curiously watching to see what was at play there with that with that breakup as far as the weekend's news, it was it was a decent weekend for Miffa Pristone, which we will get to, but a bad weekend for Bed Bath and Beyond. I don't know why. I just felt so moved to talk about Bed Bath and Beyond today. <laughs> While filing for bankruptcy doesn't necessarily mean a company is using all operations. That does appear to potentially be the case for BBNB in a statement the company said. Thank you to all of our loyal customers. We have made the difficult decision to be unwinding down our operations. So there are 360 store lefts, and also they own Bye Bye Baby, so those would have to close too. They got a 200 200- $240 million loan to sort of stay operational while they figured this out, go through bankruptcy. They're exploring a sale. Somebody could buy them and things stay more or less the same. They could go entirely um, kind of online. But the narrative around this has been, you know, this is like a, this is a pretty beloved 
brand that people had like it had a place in the culture, but it does follow places like Toys R Us and Circuit City and 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 stores that had a somewhat specific purpose, but but were still quite large. That it seems like big box stores and the Amazon um, have had a hard time. They've had a hard time competing with them. So I, you know, I didn't really see Bed Bath and Beyond lasting not as long as Diane Feinstein in in the Senate, but a moment, <laughs> a moment for Bed Bath and Beyond. I just feel like so many of us have have a memory of fighting with our parents the second day of freshman orientation in a Bed Bath & Beyond. But what do you think happened? Well, I saw a TikTok, I know, which is the most reliable. At least you say you saw a TikTok while the rest of us are like, I read an article or I, I read an article. <laughs> so, yeah, some child read an article for me. <laughs> no, there's this whole subsect of TikToks that like that uh, talks about activist hedge funds and they make um, presentations for shareholders uh, to make informed decisions. Mm. And basically what this uh, activist hedge fund alleged with Bed Bath & Beyond, which I do think is a cultural issue that we're having, is that the people up top continued to get increases. They were getting ver paid very highly despite lower shareholder uh, stock, like stocks, yeah. shareholder prices. They weren't doing anything proactive to compete with a Amazon or a Walmart or a Target. You know, again, Bad Bath and Beyond, you have to be innovative and think, but all their money went into CEO and share like CEO salaries and like high up salaries without any consideration of the thousands and thousands of people employed. So uh, and then, yeah, of course, like because they didn't innovate, they didn't put any of that money back into the company. They didn't think of new ways to compete. They didn't do any of that. Um, yeah, the business suffered. And I think that that is, you know, a thing that we're seeing a lot in like a lot of our inflation issues, yeah. a lot of like these, these companies, layoffs. bankruptcies, these layoffs are because people up top are they're the ones making the, the decisions. They don't care about. The you know and, and it all goes back to why trickle down economy does not work because they don't give a shit you know so that's what I that's what I, I mean, heard no, about the yeah. Bed Bath and Beyond and that's what that's I think yeah is. yeah it's not just that's really interesting is like there is sometimes an opportunity there is like you have customers with goodwill if you can just be a little bit creative and it's like I wonder was it one of those overpaid people who decided to spend money and redoing all the stores <laughs> like. They've been redoing all of yes. the stores and they look like space shops. They're really cool. I love Bed Bath & Beyond, obviously. It's the first topic in our main <laughs> news segment. But yeah, definitely. I mean, everything I've read have said like just strategic incompetence here. Well, and the yeah. guy made the – sorry. Uh, the guy made uh, – I think his name was like Taveras or something, something like that. The CEO, which I'll check – um, made the contract so no matter what their profit is, he's going to continue to get an increase in salary. Like that's the kind of greed that we're talking about is like, even if the company is going to shit his, his contract, his salary was always going to go up. He's like, print the 20% off coupons. Keep them going. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so my mom always worked in retail for kind of these like strip mall staple big box stores she always worked like and she was always like her specific job was always like vice president of stores or like yeah. like actual like the brick and mortar parts of it not really like their online retail places and um, I mean it's been 
tough. She actually just retired and is on a beautiful cross country retirement road trip with my dad. It's love that very for sweet. Them. But <laughs> they went to Zion, Grand Teton. They're all over. Yes. It's very sweet. She said, I'm getting out of this. <laughs> but <laughs> but it has been like the stores that we think of as like these strip mall staples, I guess I would say. Staples <laughs> being, one, <laughs> being one. Like they have to come up with reasons for people to go into the store at this point, as opposed to just going on Wayfair and ordering the stuff, just going on overstock.com, Amazon. Like it is really hard to find innovative ways that make a person actually want to come into the store, which was kind of like the focus of my mom's like work in the years right before her retirement is like, okay, what can we offer people that make coming into the store actually worthwhile? Is it personalized shopping help? Is it Mm. like, um, is it like crafting in certain ways? Cause my mom has worked for like craft giant stores and stuff like that. So is it like, do we do hands-on stuff with people in the store? Will we help you design an entire room in your house? Like if it's a bed, bath and beyond, that is the kind of stuff that these places have to be focused on. And if you're actually just focused on squeezing as much like blood from the stone as possible before it gets out, Mm -hmm. you can't really do that and be dynamic and is it that we need a smaller store where like we up our online operations but if you come into the store we're gonna help you pick out all this stuff and you can show us pictures of your room like it's just it requires a large amount of innovation that I don't think any of these stores were like actually ready to take on which is why we've seen so many of them just tank in the past like decade or so All right. Next up in our main news, tomorrow an 82-year-old man will state his intention to represent the country's more progressive party in the White House for another four years. Now, I think we should, you know, wait until Thursday since we're going to record then anyway to kind of like really analyze the context of this video. (laughs) He's going to make what he's going to say about his re-election campaign, but obviously want to acknowledge big announcement. We've been waiting for it for a while. And um, here we go, gals, 2024. (laughs) Enjoy your last day before we have a Democrat who has announced their intention to run for president in 2024. Yeah, I guess. And Trump has announced that he will run, but Mr. DeSantis has not, which is going to is very interesting. But he's got this book tour that he's cleverly used to break all the rules and still basically campaign. Um, I know we're supposed to talk about Biden, but I'm just thinking about who is sick enough to read an entire book by Don Ron DeSantis. <laughs> like, I just can't even fathom somebody. Because, yeah, I feel like at least there's the cult of personality with Trump, but to read an entire book by Ron DeSantis... You are unwell. Yeah, I feel like I would only do that if it was I was being specifically paid by a media outlet to do so. So you know what? If Tucker Carlson is looking for some freelance work, maybe he can do a Ron DeSantis well, book review. 
for somebody. Not for us. Not for us. We not will not pay us. you not for to do that. So the other biggest topic of the day is the Supreme Court's decision to pause any court-mandated restrictions on mifepristone and abortion medication until the appeals process is complete. So we got to have two of the smartest people in reproductive rights, the reproductive rights debates on this morning in the podcast, uh, Jessica Mason-Piclo and Garnet Henderson. They are of Rewire News Group. They're colleagues with Amani Gandhi, who we've had on the podcast many times. And they're really the perfect people to break this down. Jessica is a very experienced um, lawyer and Garnet has been covering abortion as a journalist for a long time. And there's a lot of moving parts here. They explain like where exactly this case is going to come back, what the next month looks like, and how what they're going for next and how we can approach it. I mean, they're not now that they've seen this potential success with the Comstock law, they could try that for birth control pills. They could try that for lots of things. So stick around through the end of the episode for a quick interview with them. That'll handle our Mifepristone um, update. We've, we've wallowed enough about it. So for the informational part of that, stick around. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. So that's the main news for today addressed. Now I want to move on to women's rights and women's wrongs. Women's Wrongs repeat offender, Kirsten Cinema. she is in the spotlight today. So according to Jezebel, Jezebel got their hands on some new polling that's going around internally, the Lego campaign that suggests 27% of Arizona voters view Kirsten Cinema favorably and want her to run again. That's not enough to win. <laughs> 
Mm-mm. There are no. two parties. She's not one of them. That's not good. With only 27% of your constituents wanting to run again, it's hard to get above 50 if you're a member of an individual party, which as we know, she is not. But that's not what you want in a competitive race with a popular challenger because that same poll showed that 39% of voters approve of Congressman Ruben Cleo. And obviously this is camp- this is from him. This is like th- this is polling that they had in their internal memos, according to Jezebel. This is stuff that they want us to see. But this is going to be a really competitive matchup. He's, of course, running as a Democrat. And then Republican candidate seems likely to be Carrie Lake. And in a, in a three-way match. <laughs> you Chris mean Carrie? Sorry, sorry. Oh, yeah. The secret the secret black woman? In a three-way race. Okay, 2020. Now I'm getting excited. 2024 will be fun. As long, yeah, as we uh, <laughs> <laughs> hope for not another Trump term. So why is she so unpopular in Arizona? I mean, if you've listened to this podcast, even for the past two months, you know, these things come up. Even though she was a Democrat, she now is an independent. And even when she was a Democrat in the Senate, she was one of the primary barriers between Biden and an even more progressive agenda due to her very moderate beliefs and her kink for the filibuster. I don't think voters really viewed it favorably when she vetoed a $15 minimum wage while curtsying and thumbsing down, or when she high-fived Joe Manchin at Davos to celebrate stonewalling and uh, not not modifying the filibuster to preserve basic rights. There's also been more reporting recently about her fundraising. I'm not sure how much her constituents um, know about this, but it is, it's going to be fun to talk about. Most of cinema's money comes from rich people um, and, and large uh, corporate PACs. More than half of her first quarter fundraising came from contributors who gave the maximum for personal donations. That maximum is $3,300. For half of your fundraising to come with people who can afford to give you $3,000, I don't know. Maybe I'm not looking close enough, but that is, that's crazy. That's not like other campaigns where you can compare them where a lot of them are, you know, small dollar, um, you know, five to 10 to 100. And a third of her donations, this is according to the New York Post, a third of her donations came from employees of the same five private equity and hedge funds. So your Blackstones, like, that's crazy. So this is, she is spending her money. She's basically employed by these people. She is Mm -hmm. getting money directly from them in the largest sums possible and via Mm -hmm. her PACs. And um, in a second, we'll talk about how she's paying for it. But any surprises that she is this unpopular? Well, I'm surprised she's getting so much money and none of it is going to her clothes. I mean, really, I know I say constantly, but just shocking. Just the bold prints. It's just not there. Somebody I'm, asked us on Instagram okay. for an is it, is it sexist conversation. They're like, can you talk about if it's sexist to talk about Kristen Sinema's clothes? And I was like, girl, we have. And it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's not. not. I it's come a hard on it. She wants us to. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. It's like if it was just that she like, I don't know, was like not particularly stylish, it would be different. But she's wearing like ostentatious clothing for a reason for us to talk about it and talk about it. We yeah. shall. She wears it one time um, and then puts it on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it does not surprise me that she is this unpopular because none of the decisions that she has been making were related to what is a priority for the people of Arizona. You know, Joe Manchin is extremely annoying, but he does represent interests of West Virginia to a degree. I think that there's yeah, probably coal barons. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but yes, yeah. but that's a state, that's the that state where the coal yeah. barons live. So it's like, it's, I think that 
with some grassroots activism, you could probably find a lot of like progressive pro union people in West Virginia. But like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like his ethos is at least somewhat tied to people in his state. Mm -hmm. Kirsten Cinema is like, She's like basically a psyop at this point. Like they got her. She ran as like, I'm this like young bisexual lady with a bunch of turquoise jewelry on. And like, if you vote for me, I'm going to do bisexual lady with turquoise (laughs) jewelry on stuff. And then has governed like a corporate hedge fund manager. And it's Mm -hmm. because they're funding her entire campaign. But at a certain point, like, you have betrayed the people who put you in office. They have noticed Mm -hmm. that you are doing that because she does it in a very ostentatious, I want attention attention way. She refuses to meet with constituents. That's been a huge thing throughout is that like average people can't get a meeting with her, though I'm sure if you have $3,300, you probably can get a meeting with her pretty quickly. And now we've got Ruben Gallego, who he's... He is, uh, I was reading the same Jezebel article that this came from. He is getting mostly small dollar donations and he's out fundraised her. So Mm -hmm. that's fucking huge because I mean, and it's probably not just people in Arizona. It's people like myself who set up an immediate recurring, (laughs) like 20 bucks going to Gallego the moment he announced, because I'm like, let's get this lady out of here. But she became an independent specifically because she knew she would lose a Democratic primary. So she's known for a long time that she is not fucking popular. And honestly, I don't even know what her play is at this point because I I don't... I mean, she they did like a bunch of different potential matchups, matchups between her, Gallego, and then either like Carrie Lake or another Republican. There's someone else who's maybe going to run or just like a generic Republican. And she lost every single potential matchup because it's like you are not working for the people of Arizona. Even a Carrie Lake, who obviously I don't want to be the senator from Arizona, she would be working on behalf Mm -hmm. of Arizonans who are crazy and think that the election was stolen. Like she actually has a constituency of people that she afterwards. Yeah. No, like she has a constituent of people that she's working for. I do not want those people to come together and choose the next Senator from Arizona. I certainly hope that they do not. But Kirsten cinema literally is just working for these hedge fund manager people who are, donating to her campaign because the other senator from Arizona, Mark Kelly is not an obstructionist. Uh, He works with people. I don't think he's like, he's not the most progressive person in the Senate either, but he also does not purposefully stand in the way of Joe Biden's agenda at every single turn. Mm -hmm. And he is happily in his Mm -hmm. seat. I think for as long as he wants it at this Mm -hmm. point, he, he, the people like him. Yeah. It's just clear that she doesn't care. It's not a concern of hers. Things, something shifted when she started. It's not about making the most money because progressive policies and minimum wage is very popular. Ruben Galia, like if she did stand up for any of these things, like she would make. So it, it is just an alliance and an allegiance to these hedge funds and private equity firms that yeah. um, are paying her. Should we talk about what she gets for it? 
Yeah, she does not just because I think a lot of times you hear, okay, they they want these donations because they want to keep their job. As you said, Millie, I I think that this woman has recognizes that she will be given a six year term and then her time is up. But that's a real long time. She spends her money like the hedge fund employee she is. So going through some of these expenses since 2021, Cinema has spent nearly twenty thousand dollars worth of campaign donations on wine-related expenses alone. <laughs> so she's gone to, I didn't put the list of wineries because I didn't recognize them, but if you know a nice winery in the West Coast, she's probably been there. Since 2019, she has built her campaign $35,000 for stays at luxury resorts. Other egregious expenses paid for in campaign funds include $4,000 for a single day of luxury car services in New York. I don't even know how you do that, girl. I couldn't wrap, I couldn't, how do you spend $4,000 on a car? Like, you got a that's bad deal. Like what is five that? Ca- that's like five Escalades. That's a motorcade. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For, for everybody on her team and her husband, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's, but it's crazy. Yeah. So she, how does she even do this? So she is known for making personal trips and then tacking on like a campaign or Senate related meeting so she can expense the entire thing. Most of what I have just said is related to her campaign. Uh, contributions, which I assume she has much more access to. But since 2020, apparently she's also spent nearly $70,000 in taxpayer funds for jet charters. When she ran the Boston Marathon last year, she spent $8,000 on a hotel room at the Ritz because she's basically just like, all right, I'm going to run the Boston Marathon. Who can I meet so that I can make it a campaign expense or I can make it a Senate expense? You know, and you know, some people do that at their job. And you know what? Sometimes respect the hustle. But I don't know if if this woman were like taking their money and then going behind their backs and and approving policy that was going to be bad for corporate interests. Fine, but she is it's she's this is clearly the arrangement that they are enjoying right now. Some wealthy Democratic donors have reportedly asked for their money back since she changed her affiliation to be independent. Like I think a lot of people are literally giving her money so she won't you know she won't mess with the carried interest tax. But I think you know wealthy Democrats have been like no 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 this is not what I I didn't give money to an independent. But her office is not getting back to them. They're just not answering calls. <laughs> so this is not a woman who appears to want to be reelected, who appears interested in doing anything it would take, altering her behavior at all. But it's just such a fucking waste. It's like for as much as we talk about how Diane Feinstein should step down today, so should so should this woman. This woman is also holding up democratic business by just not actually being a functioning member of the party. And thankfully, she's up in 2024, and this will be a fun one to watch. But it's just honestly, sometimes I'm like. You can behave as shamelessly as a man. If you got it in you, you can. Well, I'm also like, in that way, I think it's kind of nice that she's not getting a lot of donations from regular people because Mm -hmm. if you're spending like exactly money like this, like, like, yeah, fuck it. If it's like hedge fund money and all this stuff and wealthy Democratic donors, it's like, yeah, you put your money uh, you bet your money on this stupid horse. You should, you know, I don't know. I'm just kind of like. Absolutely. Yeah. She's a piece of shit. She doesn't care. She doesn't care about taxpayer dollars. She doesn't care about anybody but herself. Of course, she's going to spend $8,000 to run a fucking marathon, you know, like in, for a hotel room in a marathon. Like, it's just An nice that. grand hotel room in that's crazy. Boston, Also, homegirl just baby, doesn't know how to Boston. even get a deal. Like, why are you spending $4,000 on cars and eight grand on a Boston hotel room? That's literally like, like Macaulay Culkin and Home Alone to like New York, like the Plaza Hotel. Because you that's know, yeah, you know these. Like, but at least he's in New York. Exactly. Yeah. In Boston. <laughs> Sorry, not like, 8000 on a hotel room in, in Boston? Boston? No, that's that's Come egregious. on. 
You must like it must have your own rooftop pool. Like I just don't get it. Like you can fucking rent a mansion in Bali for five months with that shit. Like what the fuck is happening? If you're gonna do eight grand in Massachusetts, like go to the Cape and go to Martha's Vineyard, the nicest place we've got for a couple days. Absolutely. Yeah, if That's I were one of these corporate though, donors, I would just be like, girl, like, we know we're giving you money for you to enjoy yourself, but at least do not spend my money in Boston. Well, <laughs> I, I do mean, feel- where's the, where, <laughs> doesn't Clarence Thomas's donor, like, make him, like, doesn't he go to a, a vacation in Michigan every yeah, year or some yeah. shit like that? Like, the Adirondacks. He goes on, like, a yacht around Michigan with Betsy DeVos. The lakes up there are yeah, nice, yeah. though. I will say, Boston is nice. Summer. I know, like, thirty percent of our listeners are from Boston, so. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just saying eight thousand for a hotel room. Eight thousand for a hotel room anywhere hotel that's room not like in Europe, or like, no, like you said, like just like the biggest like villa inside. What are you come doing? On. Mm-hmm. Just shows that like money does not buy taste <laughs> or class, but we know it don't buy class, but it don't buy taste either. Absolutely, I not. do also feel like. This answered one of my questions because I was like, what? I knew that the impetus for her becoming independent was so that she wouldn't have to run in a primary. And I'm like, okay, but you're still going to fucking lose. So like, like, what is the ultimate outcome? And now I'm like, if she becomes an independent, then that means she runs through the whole election cycle. Because if she gets out, if she got ousted in the primary then no one's donating to her campaign at all for several months. So she's not getting any of any more of these like quote unquote campaign trips where she's tacking stuff on. So basically she's just extending the life of the time that she's going to be able Mm -hmm. to do this kind of stuff because now she doesn't have to get out of the race when she loses the democratic primary, which she was obviously going to lose. Mm -hmm. It's so jarring to, I mean, she's a politician who like, she. it seems like she just really changed and she misrepresented herself and then she changed and has been just coasting along. I mean, I was going to say like, it's really fucking frustrating that one of the biggest examples of corruption in the U.S. Senate is a Democrat. And I always have to correct myself. She's not. She chose, she chose not to be. No. She, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no way. Yeah, this she left gets, and good riddance to her. I just, I cannot. I mean, I, I expense an Uber and I'm like, do I really need to do this? And she's like, $4,000 to get around New York City for a day. <laughs> like, can you please have some of your – because you know her corporate donors are also the type of rich people who are, like, counting the babysitter's hours. So it's like at the very least send mm-hmm. her a text like, you can find a cheaper room, honey. But she has no she has no will to. In case you missed Thursday's episode or haven't listened yet, we announced a new segment on the podcast, and it is very important you know about it because we need you to participate. We have opened up a listener town hall where you can call a number and leave us a voicemail. And that number is 212-287-5244. I will repeat it. Here is what we're looking for. We definitely don't want corrections. But if as you were listening, you were like just bursting to join the conversation because you had a very important piece of information we missed and might appreciate, you like know something about it, or we just failed to mention something that was super key, share that if if it can add context or add humor or value and we should repeat it, we'll do that. You can ask us like funny non-politics related questions that feel political, like which dog breeds are Republicans. I think we all agree golden retrievers <laughs> are Republicans. <laughs> they're Chamber of Commerce Republicans, though. They're they're nice to you. you. I feel like golden retrievers, like, depends. they vote Republican, but you ask them and they're like, I'm not political. I don't, mm-hmm. I, I'm not, they're I don't, I don't hate do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. These are the types of non-political political questions that you can pose 
You can also ask us if certain points of view make you a bad feminist, or you can tell us about a terrible local politician in your area, and we will roast them for you. This, these are just you know a few examples. As you guys start to call in and we play them, you'll start to see kind of like what we're we're looking for. If you're also hooligans, I know Millie and I love the kind of relationship that those hosts have with their uh, with their audience. Um, so. This We want to play an example. This first caller shared with us a delightful political sighting that they knew that we would enjoy. And this is this is a great example. We're going to start kind of launching the question and answer period next week to give you guys some time to load that up with voicemail so that we have a good backlog. But for now, we just, we just had to play this one. Becca, can we hear it? Hi. For starters, you all are fantastic. My name's Mike, and I live in Georgia 14, specifically Rome, Georgia. As you know, that is Marjorie Taylor Greene's territory, unfucking fortunately. Uh, even worse, mm. I live in Marjorie Taylor Greene's neighborhood, and, well, <laughs> I see her quite frequently. And every time I pass her, I shoot her the double bird, the Janelle Monet style from Last Onion, <laughs> double bird. Just thought you all might enjoy that. Hope you have a good weekend. Talk to you soon. Oh, for Marjorie Taylor's oh, ex-husband wow. to call in is really a really successful <laughs> first message. Wow, I think that was the – was that the CrossFit trainer? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm just like, did Marge – like, I wonder if one of the times uh, our, that listener saw Marjorie Taylor Greene, if she was, like, lifting a tire at, car, <laughs> at CrossFit or whatever the fuck they do, and, like, she just accidentally dropped it on her toes. Uh, or that would be my workout. Just seeing her would make my heart rate go up. But thank you, Mike. That was li- – you just encapsulated yeah. a perfect listener message. And thank you for your service. Please keep us apprised of any other uh, interesting interesting sightings. If you catch her doing some of her cat vomit pull-ups, I'd love to see more of those. <laughs> or maybe I would. Oh, and and honestly, my heart just goes out because it must be I've lived in the same neighborhood as my ex before. And like just the jump scare potential of that was so difficult that to know that at any moment you you could see her in in yeah, person is, you know, that's I just stressful. hope that you're committed to your self-care. Yeah, and that you're taking care of yourself every day. The chaos that, the chaos that you must experience. Your nervous system. Listening to us. <laughs> And living in Rome, Georgia. I mean, Jesus. I'm sorry. I know, Mike. Thanks. <laughs> Call us anytime. So I will read the number, and it will also be uh, in our show notes, which is, I suspect, where you'll find it. That number is 212-287-5244. For now, we do need you to be okay with hearing your voice. That's how we want to try it out for now. Down the line, you know, there may be opportunities where we want to talk something about something like specifically specific in invite submissions where, um, you know, we might change that. But for now, it's kind of fun to listen to them. So give us a call. Tell us what's on your mind. We will start uh, rolling more of these out on Monday. For now, that is our show. And please make sure to stick around for my interview with Jessica Mason Piccolo and Garnett Henderson of Rewire News Group to understand the state of Mifepristone access for the foreseeable future. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. 
Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. It's Amanda, and I am back with a super timely guest interview. I am here with Jessica Mason-Piclo, who is the Senior Vice President and Executive Editor of Rewire News Group. She is also the co-host of the Rewire News Group podcast, Boom Lawyered. I'm also here with Garnet Henderson, who is Rewire News Group's senior multi-platform reporter and a seasoned journalist who has covered abortion for more than a decade. And she also hosts the podcast, Access, a podcast about abortion. With those descriptions, I think you know what we're, we're talking about today. And we have two incredible experts. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having us. Big Monday for abortion news. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I want to start by getting your analysis of Friday's move from the Supreme Court to temporarily pause restrictions on the abortion pill from going into effect. And then I kind of love to talk about your work in general, especially in the past year since Dobbs. You know, we are kind of coming up on that anniversary in a couple of months. So cover a lot of ground here on how Rewire is addressing that. And you two are both kind of keeping up with this on your podcast. So, you know, Jessica, in terms sure. of like a legal analysis, what happened on Friday? Well, the good news is the Supreme Court didn't do what we were all concerned they were going to do and let and let some, if not all, of a lower court's ruling out of Texas take effect. So what happened was the status quo around medication abortion remained. And I think that's one of the points that I really want to make because I'm seeing a lot of um, media headlines about, oh, mifepristone, broad access is restored. And no, there's no broad access to begin with. Um, we are We are in the status quo. And I just would also want to say one other thing for listeners really importantly is that the decision that is at the center of this, that the Supreme Court um, was considering taking up, it's completely lawless. And the idea that it took the court as long as it did Mm. to do what it did, I think is a flag and a conversation that we should be having. That case should have just been disposed of immediately, but it wasn't. And so that part is concerning. Yeah. And not only that, but I mean, didn't Alito and 
at least Alito said, I think we should have, for the time oh, being, yeah, just yeah. banned the pills. Yeah. And what was that about? What yeah. did he say? I mean, both Alito and Thomas um, uh, dissented in the in the court's um, decision and said, you know, frankly, it would have been no big deal to go back to 2016 in terms of where the regulatory process was with Mifepristone and the FDA. And, oh, I also don't like that some of my colleagues are being a little snarky or mm-hmm. upset about this. Like, he took some pot shots at a couple of the justices. Justices, which um, is unprofessional, but not, you know, out of the norm for Sam Alito. And then also spent some time complaining about the shadow docket, which is rich, considering this is the Supreme Court that let Texas's SB8, the bounter hunty provision, take effect on the shadow docket, a blatantly unconstitutional law that was a de facto overturning of Roe versus Wade, at least in the state of Texas, nearly a full year before the Dobbs decision even. So, I mean, he was mad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I, I do believe I remember him saying, Women can just let elections decide. And now he doesn't seem, yeah. So this, I think this case has been, you know, a little hard to message and hard for people to understand because it started with this Texas judge and then the Fifth Circuit and now the Supreme Court. So what what happens next? Where does this go next? Is it with the Supreme Court? Does it go all the way back down? What are we looking at for the next couple of months? What's our timeline and what's next? Sure, great question. So one of the good things about the uh, order from the Supreme Court last week is that it pauses uh, Judge Kaczmarek's ruling from taking effect up until the point where there's what the court calls a final disposition at the court. So right now, the case um, will go to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals for oral arguments. Those are scheduled for mid-May, I believe May 17th. Uh, The court will take its time and issue a ruling, and we would expect, based on that ruling, that the case would try to, that somebody would appeal it up to um, the Supreme Court again. The Fifth Circuit is wildly conservative. They were issuing bonkers abortion decisions before that was even in vogue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I expect to see something really nutty to come from the court when they have the opportunity to to actually rule. But the good news is, is that is a window of time that could be months, mm-hmm. even longer, potentially, yeah. because we're talking about this one Texas case, but there are actually a couple other lawsuits that are out there in federal district court right now around the FDA's power um, and mifepristone regulation. So it's going to be a little bit of time mm-hmm. before the issue gets sorted out in the courts. Uh, again, what, to the folks who are listening, what that means is that the status quo Yeah remains the same. Um, So one of the downsides of um, all of the litigation and all of the maneuvering by the anti-choice community around abortion access is it creates a lot of confusion. And that is a way to chill people's rights. They don't know if medication abortion, for example, is still legal, where they can get it, what's going on with it. And so that's overwhelming. And so one of the things that you will hear, probably Garnet and I both say a lot is, it's still legal, it's still safe, Mm -hmm. it's still available. Yeah. And you know, that kind of takes me into my next question for you, Garnet. I mean, this stuff is very confusing. It's changing a lot. Sometimes I find the more specific I try to get in explaining it is actually not good for clarity. How do you kind of like approach, you know, you're, you're, you're posting this stuff and writing about it and covering it across Rewire's kind of platforms? You know, how would you, how do you approach messaging and how would you suggest people that want to use whatever small platform they have on the internet to make sure clear information is out there? 
Mm-hmm. Well, like Jess just said, I think one of the most important things to focus on is that medication abortion is extremely safe. The safer than pregnancy. Much, much safer. Much safer oh, than much pregnancy. Safer. Yeah. Abortion is at least 14 yeah. times safer than childbirth. And that, by the way, is using national statistics for maternal mortality. We know that in many states, especially the same states that have already banned abortion, maternal mortality rates are much higher. So um, abortion is even safer than childbirth in those states. Um, And this is a drug, mifepristone, that has an excellent safety record for 23 years. Um, So I think that's one of the most important things to focus on is that conservatives are trying to paint this as a dangerous drug, and that is simply not true. There are even studies they cited in this lawsuit Mm -hmm. that conclude that mifepristone is safe. Um, And also, I try to focus on the availability of medication abortion because if you really want to have a medication abortion, there are other ways to get it, right? Mm -hmm. You can order pills online that are shipped from overseas, and that also is safe um, medically. Legally, people can potentially put themselves at risk if they choose to self-manage an abortion, and I think that's uh, an important thing for them to know. An organization called If When How has an amazing hotline that you can call if you're concerned about your legal risk. Mm -hmm. Right, because this, as you said, you know, status quo is... Sometimes something to celebrate, but part of it means the pills, the fibristone is already banned in some places, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. More than a dozen states have already banned all or most abortions. So mm-hmm. that goes back to what Jess was saying about headlines suggesting that the Supreme Court preserved broad access. I saw I saw a headline that said Supreme Court protects abortion pill access right. on CNN, <laughs> yeah. which if I am not of a, a person with a life and I'm not paid yeah. to follow this, I think, oh, it's all over, which like the practical impact is that it's still it's still available. But yeah, this case in particular, yeah. there's a lot of moving parts, it seems. Yeah, don't give the court any, no. any credit yeah. on this. No. <laughs> no. When when this goes back to the, to the Fifth Circuit, is it going to go to the same set of judges that ruled this time on the emergency? Like, or is it, does it go to a different panel. It'll be the full panel. Yeah, it's it's the full. So and um, what the Fifth Circuit did was put it on an expedited uh, basis. So they sped the, the process up. You know, one yeah. of the things about the federal okay. courts is they're designed to move slowly, not quickly. <laughs> but sometimes um, that's different. And so the Fifth Circuit said this um, is kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. We're going to move it. And mm-hmm. they were already yeah. scheduled um, to hear arguments in New Orleans um, in May. And so they just added it to the mm-hmm. calendar. How do these judges sort of like think about each other's kind of reactions to each other? Because, you know, if I'm in the Fifth Circuit and I see SCOTUS, I'm like, really? I thought they had our back. Like, do you think that this impacts how, you know, this the Fifth Circuit may reconsider this if they think the ultimate outcome they don't have the votes in the Supreme Court? Obviously, we know that's not how it's supposed to go. But do you think that there is kind of like a reciprocal impact here potentially? I mean, I think both Judge Kaczmarek, who issued the original opinion, um, and whatever the the judges on the Fifth Circuit are going to do will write their opinion in a way that is the most enticing for the conservatives on the court to take it up. And so there are a couple really big and meaty legal issues that the parties are fighting over in these cases. And I do think that some of these just that some of these judges will be considering ways to tee it up. You know, one of the um, real uh, gold mines for the conservative movement in these cases is the resurrection of a Victorian era statute called the Comstock Act. And uh, Judge Kaczmarek's opinion around the Comstock Act is 
positively bonkers. And the Fifth Circuit was like, mm, actually seems okay. Uh -huh. So we, so those are one of the areas where I think, you know, we'll see um, gotcha. some stuff come through, you know. Um, and look, I know that, that on Wednesday's order, it was technically considered a seven to two vote, right? Mm -hmm. Because we only have two noted dissents yeah. right now. I would just remind everybody on the court that there is a solid anti-choice majority that, you know, John Roberts, even in the Dobbs decision, while he m was like, I would let the 15-week 15, the 15 uh -huh. ban out of Mississippi take effect, but I don't think we should go so far as to overturn Row, I mean, sir, that's that's the same <laughs> yeah, thing, right? That is, you know, a, a a difference that makes no sense. So don't yeah. give them any credit. Yeah. So you know, Garnet, they've come. They came for abortion. Roe was overturned in the job decision. Now they're coming for the re mechanisms required to complete a medication abortion. What weird legal trickery are they going to confront us with next? Like, what what are they up to now? Like, where are they setting up new cottage industries to try to sue? Tell us, tell us what their roadmap looks like next. Well, Jess just mentioned the Comstock yeah. Act, oh, and God. I think that's one of the things that we got to really be keeping an eye on. So the Comstock Act is essentially a zombie law. Yeah, It's a law from 1873 that was chipped away at by various court decisions over the years, but never actually taken off the books. Okay. Um, and if conservatives are serious about resurrecting Comstock, that has the potential <laughs> to ban not only abortion, yeah. but contraception, yeah. uh, health care for mm -hmm. LGBTQ people. Because what that law did is it prohibited mailing anything that was considered obscene. So you hear obscene and you think porn, and it did mean porn mm -hmm. and erotica, yes. <laughs> but it also specifically in the text of the law yep. banned mailing anything related to abortion or contraception. And we hear mail and abortion, and we think of abortion pills in the mail. Yeah. But think about that for just a second. Everything in a doctor's office was mailed at some point. Right. Mm -hmm. Every device, every medication used for abortion and, of course, contraception goes through the mail or FedEx, UPS. That also counts mm -hmm. under the Comstock Act. So that is something to be incredibly concerned about, even even a mention of Comstock and mm -hmm. the fact that Kazmarek and the Fifth Circuit both cited Comstock in their opinions. I think we're going to hear more about Comstock from the Fifth Circuit when they make their decision in this case. Is that something the legislative branch could be like, okay, let's get rid of this. Okay. It sure is. Yeah, it sure yeah. is. Hello, like, Democrats. Yeah, where yeah, are yeah. you? <laughs> I mean, Who's going to introduce a Comstock truly. repeal? Doesn't seem like it's serving any legitimate purpose currently other than, yeah. No, and it's no. just, it is, it's causing chaos. Mm -hmm. And it has the potential based on how conservatives are framing their arguments around it to reach into states that have affirmatively yeah. protected abortion yes. rights and access as well. So whenever they said after Dobbs that this is a state's rights issue, what you need to know now is that the anti-choice community has shifted that rhetoric to say it's not a state's rights issue, it's a human rights rights issue to support a national ban. So mm -hmm. this lawsuit also works as a way to sort of introduce that yeah, concept gotcha. into the conversation. Well, that's chilling. <laughs> yes. And by human rights, of course, they mean yeah. fetuses. Yes. Right. Not yeah. the We're not actually human. No, 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 We're no, not no. Right. No, no, no. Yeah. We, no, none of us. Uh, so we talked about, you know, obviously, if there were like the will and maybe a few more votes, there could be a legislative solution to try to ward some of this off. But what role does the Biden administration play here in terms of uh, the Mifepristone kind of issue? Well, federal courts do not regulate drugs in the United States. The FDA does. And I think that's another thing that is hugely missing from a lot of the media coverage mm -hmm. around this case. Even if 
the Fifth Circuit rules that the FDA approval of mifepristone should be reversed, even if the Supreme Court then rules that, the FDA has discretion, meaning it essentially chooses how it enforces the law. So the FDA could legally say, that's nice. Thank you for your opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. But we are not going to enforce this decision. So that's a huge thing that the Biden administration can do and should do. Joe Biden promised a whole of government Mm -hmm. effort. That's what he said to protect abortion access. And that's literally effortless to just say, no. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, but no thanks. And invite Democrats to file a Comstock repeal and Mm -hmm. absolutely campaign on the fact that Republicans will block that Comstock repeal. Mm -hmm. Because we know, like, practically speaking, just with with the numbers um, in Congress right now, that that's the most realistic Mm -hmm. possibility. Mm -hmm. But abortion and contraception access are overwhelmingly popular in this country. And what we have seen in every election since the Dobbs decision is that for Democrats, they turn out on this issue. Abortion wins elections. It does. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we talk a lot about how like Democrats kind of failed to see the political benefit of abortion for so long that Roe got overturned. And um, if they if they if they don't embrace it now, they're just that's we can't help them. We can't help them. Mm -hmm. So in a few months, we'll be, you know, one year removed from the Dobbs decision. I'm sure, you know, like a lot of our listeners, as soon as we read that that phrase, the, what would happen in the year ahead just probably like flash before your eyes, just horrible things. So I, I'm curious, you know, how much of that has become a, a reality? When, when you reflect on the past like kind of 10 months, what kind of – honestly, like I don't know how to phrase this question differently, but like what kind of like really gives you like a catch in your stomach? Like, wow, that, that really the worst case scenario really happened. Oh, where to start? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so I, It's hard. It's been so long and it's yeah. all happened so incrementally that it's like now we live in this nation where – however many states have banned it. I mean, I think, you know, ever th- that many of us in this space were prepared for yeah. the immediate dominoes, um, the states that had trigger laws or would be immediately passing abortion bans. Um, for me, uh, the acceleration around the mifepristone mm-hmm. lawsuits in particular caught me a little off guard. I mean, I knew that they would be coming for medication abortion because it's so safe, it's so effective, and abortion pills have really changed the game from um, Roe and Casey. But I think then, too, there were a couple studies um, that came out that really just took took my breath away and Garnet will know what I'm talking about. One was the uh, statistics that she already mentioned around maternal mortality and in particular black maternal mortality and is showing that those rates after Dobbs go up a full 30 plus percent for for black women and and people who can uh, have birth or give birth. So that I mean that's a human rights crisis. Yeah. Right. Um, absolutely. Just a full on human rights crisis. And then a recent study from I think it was the Society for Family Planning, but I mm-hmm. might I might have it wrong that showed over 30,000 folks gave birth that didn't want to. Wow. Yeah. And that's not a good thing. No. <laughs> and then and there and then these these anti-abortion rights people would frame that as a victory. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, state conscripted pregnancy and childbirth. Mm-hmm is not something the United Nations looks favorably mm-hmm. on, for example. And we have it flourishing in this country right now, unfortunately. Yeah. Another question I kind of have for you both. I mean, Jessica, I know you have messaged really effectively on Twitter. How has Twitter kind of changing and the Twitter landscape changing? Has it affected your work and how you guys message and how are you pivoting? Yeah, I'm so curious. It's affected. It's a bummer. It's crazy how one man can very quickly kind of like 
really um, mess with this messaging platform that people have spent their whole careers building. But how are you? How have you dealt with that? How are you getting around it? And what would yeah? What are you working on? Oh my gosh, it's such a bummer. Yeah. I think we've all noticed that engagement is way yeah. down um, across Twitter, which mm-hmm. is a real shame because I think it used to be easier to communicate. Uh, to such a broad audience on Twitter. And I can just tell that not as many people are seeing any of our tweets anymore. Um, And then I also think Twitter had become, for better or for worse, one of the best sources for breaking news. It was. If something is happening right now. And now, it's just a mess. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we're working on the pivot. Jess can probably say more about that. But I think there's a lot to figure out. Yeah. yeah, I mean, men, am I right? Yeah. Like, like they're, they're why we can't have nice Ugh. things. But um, everything that Garnet said is absolutely true. There was a time when Twitter was perhaps the best RSS news feed yep. to exist. And it was a place, I mean, I remember breaking the news of Texas SB8 taking effect, mm-hmm. for example, um, and on on there and, and not just getting wild engagement that felt good as like a dopamine hit, but actually actually um, meeting people in policy positions. I mean, it was the it was the one place where you would have journalists, advocates, policy wonks, politicians all having a conversation. It was the yeah. that was the digital town square that every a conversation that everybody else could see. Yes, too. Mm-hmm. and the transparency there, and and you know um, the whole verification hoorah is just ridiculous, <sighs> yeah. you know. And so, but I think what it is in danger of becoming and really on the precipice now is another tool of disinformation for the right and so much disinformation already exists particularly around uh, issues of reproductive health care and access that losing twitter in that sense um it it, that that loss is real Mm -hmm. yeah and especially i mean like you said twitter was we've talked about it a lot to our audience like in breaking news moments because it would usually find a way to surface the experts believe it or not like Mm -hmm. we would see you and your colleague Amani Gandhi's uh-huh. tweets in reaction to those things that were happening because that's what the experts were retweeting. Mm-hmm. And the blue check did mean something. And I think, yeah, there's really something missing there, especially in these um, big news moments. And like in our experience, like Instagram, you, you write abortion anywhere. It knows. It knows. Yes. I think we all need to just come up with a collective like I know I, I, you know, like I say like a Bobo. Yeah. And yeah. Like not in mixed company, but like it feels too casual for, yeah. for maybe we do like smorsh yeah. just changed all of the, but um, yeah, yeah. It's especially because we do know that when we are sharing this news, like it really connects women are women, especially are, are really paying attention. I mean, to stay on Biden for another minute, he's apparently going to announce his, his reelection campaign kind mm-hmm. of tomorrow. I personally remain a little bit disappointed by how much he's like really embraced this issue what do you want to see from him? Like, what would be a best case scenario of, you know, a really pro-abortion rights platform? Like, what if you were his kind of like, you know, a single, like, I'm a, imagine I'm, I'm a single issue abortion voter, but in, you know, the Democratic direction, what would you tell him to get that voter that he needs to be messaging more? Same thing I mentioned about the FDA, uh-huh. right? FDA can stick with the science and refuse to put in place any new restrictions on mifepristone. Easy. Um The Biden administration already issued guidance reminding hospitals that they are required by federal law to provide abortions in emergency situations, and they are not coming after the hospitals Mm. and the states that are not doing that. So I think getting serious about enforcing that guidance 
And uh, similarly, they also issued guidance already to pharmacists, reminding them that, again, it's a violation of federal law to provide people with medications that they need. Yeah. And I think that is something that is going to be hugely important, especially as we see attacks on contraception. Mm -hmm. The Biden administration has got to do something to clamp down on pharmacist refusals because Mm -hmm. that's already been an issue. It's going to be a huge issue. And just to piggyback on that, don't leave all of this work to your vice president, who happens to be a black woman right now. I really appreciate everything that Vice President uh, Harris has been doing and saying and messaging around this. And I know uh, she's got a rally planned at Howard uh, tomorrow and we'll, you know, be continuing to address this issue. And I think that's great. I really, truly do. However, the president of the United States has a bully pulpit that is different. And we are, again, in a human rights crisis. And to not message on that consistently. And I know that'll make people on Twitter mad. Like I just want vibes. We don't see their tweets anymore. Or do whatever. something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reality is, is that folks in places like Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Democratic voters want to hear from this administration yes. beyond just, I support yeah. health care. Mm-hmm. Like that's great, Joe. Yeah. I also just get so frustrated with the like, oh, but he couldn't do it even if he wanted to. Like they couldn't pass a Comstock repeal even if he wanted to. I'm always like, he's the president of the United States of America. He's the most powerful person in the world. If he wanted to make something happen, yes, he could. Like where is him being a little scary? Right. Why not at (laughs) least publicly say like you're the leader of the party publicly say and then at least then we can hold Cinema and Mansion accountable for for not doing that. Because as we've seen in all the states, Kansas voters are coming out for abortion. So like it really only benefits him. And I'm curious to see, you know, if the people are who are advising him are able to get that across because it can help him win. And we really we really need to hear more. Like you said, I think in the State of the Union, there was one reference to abortion and it wasn't a standalone. It was like abortion, health care or something like he loves to also just not actually say. The we word can abortion. get somewhere between that and free abortion on demand. Surely there's a... <laughs> and when you look towards the future of not just the Democratic Party, but really just any of the policies that we hold near and dear, in terms of younger voters, these issues are wildly popular. And not mm-hmm. just popular like they like them, like this matters and they understand the connections between access to reproductive health care and your economic viability and the ability to raise families if you want them in safe and clean environments. Like the younger generation of voters gets the intersections. And that is why conservatives are coming so hard for Mm -hmm. the tools that they use to organize like TikTok or, you know, where they get their information in terms of library and book bans and and even trying to craft some legislation um, around Uh abortion information on the internet, for example. Mm. The conservative movement understands and sees that future very cynically. The Democratic Party so far does not. Yeah, that's that's perfectly put. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, Jessica, can you kind of tell us about uh, Rewire's founding mission and then, you know, how you're going to implement that and how people can support it? Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Sure. Rewire News Group is the nation's only nonprofit media organization dedicated exclusively to reporting on reproductive and sexual uh, health rights and justice issues. Uh, We have been independent for over a decade now and um, it's great that folks are are figuring out who we are and yeah. what we do. Um, you know, our team is small and mighty, um, but uh, it rocks, frankly. Um, yeah. And 
we have really always taken the approach that while, um, you know, abortion is an issue that gets talked about in the courts and state houses, our coverage uh, centers the folks who are most impacted by those bans and also is a democratizing project in the sense that explaining what is going on in the courts and in state houses is an important part of our mission. It's not enough just to report it out. It's to really get into this is what the decision means for people who live in this particular place or, you know, um, in, in Garnet's work, like really driving home the stories of how those court cases or how those laws that get implemented impact access and change the practice of medicine because abortion is healthcare after all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of people want to are able to sit in rooms and talk about like the full process for 45 minutes. But a lot of people just simply need to know, like, is this something that I can get tomorrow yeah. Yeah. If, if I need it? Thank you both so much for joining us. This was so informative. And I know our listeners are, are going to be grateful to have had a very like sobering expert analysis of what's going on and, uh, and what's next. And we'll continue to be talking about this and, and amplify your work as uh, we get close to that anniversary. I don't know why I'm so like fixated on a year since, but it's just been oh. such a year. So, it, so are yeah. we. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. Thank you for having us anytime. We really appreciate it. And, you know, folks can go to rewirenewsgroup.com yes. to check out our work. You know, uh, Garnet's uh, podcast access. Um, listen to that. Hear the stories of, of folks who are trying to get care and deliver care. Yeah. Subscribe to Access, a podcast about abortion and Boom Lawyered right now. And that is our show for today. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betches Up Podcast. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram. Twitter and TikTok and send us your emails at subpod at betches.com. Betches.